TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Good morning. Welcome to Sunday Take uh, News Talk 830 WCCO. I'm Blaise Olson. Today is May 28th, 2023, and it is a beautiful Memorial Day weekend in Minnesota. I want to take a moment early on to just acknowledge what this weekend is about, what tomorrow is about, and honoring those who have given the greatest sacrifice for our country in all walks of life, military, but also police officers, firefighters, and anybody who was in service when they lost their life and their loved ones. The legislature finished on Monday. It feels like A long time ago, meanwhile, we watch and wait in Washington for a deal on the debt ceiling. It could have happened sooner. Will it happen in time? We have two great guests, Representative Dean Phillips and Representative Brad Finstead, as we look to Washington issues this week. The farm bill, small business challenges, immigration, and of course, the debt ceiling, which could crush so many parts of our economy, the global economy, etc. All of that coming up next, Representative Dean Phillips on the debt ceiling, how negotiations actually happen in Washington and how they should happen, and whether or not there's bipartisan appetite for a true compromise. I'm Blaise Olson. Dean Phillips is up next on the Sunday Take. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. It's better over here. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. 
You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Trick responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. My first guest this week on Sunday Tickets, Representative Dean Phillips. He joins me now. Representative Phillips, how are you? I'm great, Blois. Great to be with you. Uh, you know, obviously, we've been talking a lot about Minnesota issues here, but, uh, you know, I thought this week would be good to really dig in on the debt ceiling. You um, sure. are part of the Problem Solvers Caucus. This seems like a big problem. You think it'll get solved this week? I do, Blois. I think we are perhaps hours, if we're lucky, uh, days, if we're not, away from what I think will be relatively thoughtful resolution. And uh, I happen to be perhaps in the minority in this, but uh, believe that two things can be true at once. Uh, we cannot default on our debt, and we have to become a more fiscally responsible country uh, in how we conduct our budgeting process, uh, how we uh, incur debt, and perhaps most importantly, recognizing the extraordinary amount of interest that we're paying right now on our debt, which is going to exceed $600 billion dollars uh, this next year. Uh, and these are truths. Uh, but I think we will uh, resolve this and then have to move on to the even more important work of uh, a sustainable effort uh, to do better by people, invest more wisely, generate better returns, and match our revenue with our programmatic needs. We've talked about this forever. Um, Concord Coalition back in the 90s. Mm-hmm. It's been studied, all of these things. Um, you talk about kind of fiscal responsibility, the conversation about the debt ceiling, how, and you talk about, you might be in the minority there, but talk about the conversations that you have with your colleagues, Democratic or Republican, about just how this is something that at some point we're going to have to have real conversations and, you know, some changes about because it's become unsustainable. And I, I'll even exclude the last few years of the pandemic because I think some of that spending really made sure our economy stayed stable. Um, But, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's kind of this ongoing, we need more, more, more. And yet we don't have the labor force. We don't have some of these other economic Mm -hmm. stimulus that you need to drive revenue. So talk about the conversations you have with colleagues. So the, you know, the, the conversations I have with my favorite colleagues on both sides of the aisle uh, are are authentic ones, uh, recognizing that Democrats and Republicans uh, since Bill Clinton uh, have used deficit spending uh, during the almost entirety of their administrations. Uh, you just noted that during the pandemic, uh, the Trump administration incurred another seven trillion dollars uh, in debt, uh, some of that covid related, not all of it. But the point is that we all acknowledge uh, no party, despite the fact that one party talks about it regularly, no party has really uh, endeavored to manage our finances effectively and responsibly. And what we talk about uh, is the very reasonable uh, objective of reducing deficits. And that means that, yes, we have to spend more efficiently cut things that don't work well, invest more heavily in things that do, identify where government should be investing and where perhaps the private sector can do better. And we also have to raise some more revenue. Uh, And these two things are true. Most of my colleagues on both sides of the aisle in private conversations recognize that it has to be a combination uh, of both. It's not an easy process, Blois, because as you well know, 
Nobody comes to Washington asking you to spend less on the program uh, of importance to them. And nobody comes to Washington asking to contribute more. And we have no political incentives, frankly, uh, to better manage our fiscal uh, responsibilities. And those are the conversations I'm having. And I'm hopeful that the outcome of this negotiation might just create some space and place for Democrats and Republicans uh, to elevate this issue. And lastly, uh, the truth is Congress uh, does not have many uh, occupants uh, uh, that come from backgrounds where people understand uh, profit and loss statements, balance sheets, uh, uh, matching revenue with expenses, uh, and, and some kind of business experience. The dearth of such representation is even more problematic considering the enormity of the challenge uh, and our needs moving forward. But uh, we're going to work on it. You know, uh, you kind of read my mind there because my next question wasn't necessarily about P&Ls and balance sheets, which um, uh, we've both seen our share of over the years, but but rather the art of negotiation, the negotiations, the posturing that we see publicly that frankly is frustrating. And even as press releases fly into my inbox and tweets and whatever, just, you know, as a congressman, as a successful business person, as somebody who's negotiated deals, Mm -hmm. um, what do you hear? Is there an actual, like, genuine good faith behind the scenes that you don't see? I think tone has been really good the last couple of weeks, but Mm -hmm. you, you know, you, you, Tone has a lot to do with negotiation. Tone and time. That's what it takes. And I just, what have you seen in Washington that maybe uh, hasn't worked well or could be better if they, you know, had sat down and negotiated a business deal? Yeah. Well, it was Benjamin Franklin that said necessity never made a good bargain. Necessity (laughs) never made a good bargain. If I've learned anything in negotiating, uh, it's that truth. And the time to establish trust, the time to generate good outcomes, uh, in this case for both parties, because if both parties generate good outcomes, that's accretive to the country. Um, You can't do it under duress. Uh, You can't do it when essentially you're being held hostage. And I understand uh, why my Republican friends have used this occasion to inject uh, the objectives of fiscal responsibility into the into the um, discourse. Uh, But I do object to the timing uh, and then holding uh, default uh, above our country's head. So to your question, we have thoughtful conversations. I'm on the Problem Solvers Caucus. Uh, I, as a member of Democratic leadership, uh, just hosted a dinner two weeks ago for my caucus members uh, to enlighten them as to some of our economic measures, some of our budgetary challenges, and most importantly, relative to our debt deficits and debt service, the extraordinary amount of money that we now have to dedicate to paying the interest. So the conversations are starting in a way that uh, I did not uh, experience in the first four years of service. This is now my fifth. Uh, And I'm hopeful, like I said, that this occasion might actually yield uh, more than conversation, but some action. And what we have proposed on the Problem Solvers Caucus is that we form a bicameral, bipartisan commission, bicameral, meaning the House and the Senate, bipartisan, of course, Democrats and Republicans, Uh, to really get to work on this and create a pro forma or mock budget that gets us closer to some sustainable, reduced deficit uh, budgeting. And it is achievable. 
but everybody listening should know we spend almost a trillion dollars a year now on national defense, almost more than the next eight countries combined. Uh, the overwhelming majority of the revenue that we generate at the federal level uh, is dispersed via some of our most important programs, including Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security. Uh, there's actually remarkable like-mindedness amongst Democrats and Republicans about national defense, protecting the programs into which people have paid. The actual areas that we can cut right now uh, are limited to about 15% of the total budget. Uh, so it's very complicated if you look at it objectively. Uh, we have to look at it categorically. We have to look at revenue. And we also have to look at the trust funds that finance the very programs on which so many Americans rely. And back to your fundamental question, yes, there are a lot of Democrats and Republicans that are looking at this in a reasonable, transparent, uh, and collegial fashion. The problem is politics always gets in the way uh, of decency and collegiality in Congress. And I'm looking for more leaders uh, in more places and spaces that make this important and approach it in, in the fashion that I think any Minnesotan would want to, which is with reason, uh, fact-based, and most of all, with shared objectives. When, um, when we think about these things, um, you think about the economy, where we're at, where we're headed. Um, you're on the Small Business uh, Committee. You mm -hmm. led it last Congress. What, what are you hearing from business owners about some of their challenges and their opportunities right now? Well, you know, it's a mixed bag, Boyce. You know, we in the United States uh, made it through COVID in much better shape than just about any developed country in the world. Uh, our economy is now larger than it was pre-COVID. Uh, most economic indicators are remarkably solid, uh, but there are some headwinds. Uh, inflation clearly is challenging. Uh, the workforce shortage uh, is punitive to businesses large and small. Uh, but all of those can be solved. We can solve the workforce issue with uh, better preparation training uh, amongst young people uh, and reforming our immigration laws. Uh, I think the Fed has done a, a good job of trying to uh, cool the economy just enough to bring inflation down. And we're seeing some uh, positive effects. And, you know, we also see opportunities around the world to increase uh, uh, markets for Minnesota products and American made products while incentivizing businesses to return their manufacturing base to the United States, which is why I think the CHIPS Act is one of the most underappreciated successes of the last Congress that will repatriate uh, microchip manufacturing back to the U.S., including uh, some enterprises right here in Minnesota, uh, uh, Skywater Technologies, as they prepare for the future, because uncertainty uh, is the enemy uh, of the economy. Um, as you um, as you look at uh, those things. Immigration seems to be the next big thing. Um, probably not going to happen in a presidential year, but uh, is that also a bipartisan conversation? Absolutely. In fact, a, uh, I think a very promising bipartisan immigration bill was introduced uh, just yesterday uh, in, the, uh, in the House uh, by a, a Democrat and Republican that I think includes most of the priorities of both sides uh, by definite. In fact, the early response was some dismay from the far right and the far left, which means to me that it's a bill that has some potential because uh, nothing can get through Congress unless uh, it finds common ground between both sides. So there is a new energy behind that. 
Uh, it is complicated, but there's new energy. And our policy, just like budgeting, has been broken for decades. Democrats and Republicans own that. Uh, but to ignore it, to sweep it under the rug, uh, to use it as a as political weapon uh, weapons is really a, a grave mistake. And now businesses are recognizing one of the only solutions to uh, improving uh, the universe of uh, potential employees is to welcome them, encourage those yeah. uh, of capacity and interest and education to come to the United States uh, where you can still pursue the American dream. And that's what we're all about. And I'm, I'm optimistic that between this new bill and the Problem Solvers Caucus and other people of reason, uh, that we might actually be able to elevate that here uh, in the coming weeks and months. My guest is Representative Dean Phillips. Uh, Representative Phillips, I want to just end uh, on the note that it's a Memorial Day weekend. Tomorrow's Memorial Day. Um, and uh, this earlier this week, you uh, introduced an act uh, with mm-hmm. a Republican colleague, uh, Love Lives on Act. Uh, talk mm-hmm. about it and what it means to you. So, you know, Blois, it's uh, it's very personal to me because, as you might know, I lost my father in the Vietnam War when I was uh, just a little boy. In fact, uh, the Today Show uh, tomorrow on Memorial Day will be doing a story about my recent visit to Vietnam, uh, where I was able to actually make a journey to the site where my father's helicopter crashed and where he lost his life. And it's been a remarkable uh, year for me in that respect to uh, make my pilgrimage to that place and reconnect with the veterans community uh, and connect with the Gold Star family community. And I've learned through those uh, conversations that uh, there are a number of areas where we as a country have to do better, uh, particularly by those families who've lost loved ones uh, serving our country. Uh, And that means relative to the benefits that uh, are due families that have lost loved ones uh, in conflict, uh, there are some problems with current law uh, that as it relates to the benefits if you remarry, uh, uh, how children are affected. So we wrote a bill that would simply do what I think everybody in our country would like to see, which is those who've lost a loved one serving our country uh, should have their benefits easily accessible, uh, and we should take care of those families, children, spouses, uh, uh, who've lost everything, uh, because that's a priority for all of us. And sadly, our country seems to always find resources to send young men and women to war, but too often uh, can't find the resources to take care of them when they come home or take care uh, of their loved ones who are left behind. And that's what this bill is about. And it all starts with listening, Blois. You know, the beauty of this job is meeting remarkable people uh, who share beautiful stories, who share tragic stories, uh, and doing our best to make life just a little bit easier for as many people as we can. And that's what we try to do. Representative Dean Phillips, I, uh, I, Thanks for sharing that. We'll watch the Today Show tomorrow. Uh, you and I have known each other a long uh, time, and you're the kind of person I think about on days like tomorrow. So have a great weekend. Thank you. Right back at you, Blois. Keep the faith. Sounds good. When we come back, Representative Brad Finstead on the debt ceiling, the farm bill, and more. I'm Blois Olson. You're listening to Sunday Take on News Talk 830 WCCO. Final guest today on Sunday Take is Representative Brad Finstad. He's in his first full term uh, in Congress in the House majority. He's a leader on ag issues, and he joins me now. Representative, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. You told me before we started recording that uh, you're going to get on the tractor and plant some beans. How are things out in the field and on the farm? Well, farming is always a great example to live out your faith. Uh, about a, about two weeks ago, we thought everything was sailing along and 
in South Central Minnesota, we we were given a, a gift of about 10 inches of rain over the over a short period of time. So it created a lot of uncertainty, but looks like things are improving now. And we're just, you know, thankful to be able to get back in the fields here again today. Sounds good. And being home from Washington is probably a relief knowing that you kind of want to be home. And I know you have a graduate, but talk about kind of last few weeks in Washington when it comes to the debt ceiling, your view and how optimistic or maybe not optimistic you are that ultimately will avoid uh, a default this week. Well, I'm I'm optimistic about that. I mean, I don't I don't think anybody in their right mind thinks going going down the road of a default would be good for for anybody in this country, let alone the global economy. Uh, you know, in the House, I was proud of the fact that we were able to show the the American public that we, as the Republican Conference, could get together and pass something off the House floor. We passed about three weeks ago the Limit Save Grow Act, which which uh, raised the debt ceiling. Uh, uh, for the next couple of years. And it also took a shot at trying to really get to a point where we can get our fiscal house in order and, and looking long-term on ways that we can cap some of the growth within government, try to figure out where there's areas where we could save some money and, and, and then really how can we spur the economy and, and really get the workforce going, get the jobs going, get the economy going and, and create more opportunities to grow the GDP and really kind of grow our way out of this this financial funk that we find ourselves in. I know that you're the type of representative who isn't just in your silo, only talking to your colleagues on the Republican side. If you, when you have kind of hallway conversations without, you know, exposing confidences, what, what do your Democratic colleagues say about spending? What do they say about, you know, this place we've at? Because, you know, look, I've been following this stuff for 30 years. We've talked about the debt, the deficit for 30 years. Now we've just been through this time of pandemic and spending. Some of it required, some of it helped our economy tremendously, stabilized our economy. But I know there is this sense that, you know, we have to kind of reset things. Are, do you talk to Democrats who, who acknowledge that? Yeah, there, you know, there's a little bit of acknowledgement going on. I mean, I think there's still that, you know, hopeful, optimistic wish that we can just you know, kind of kind of hope our way through this. But, you know, it becomes basic math and we start seeing things that I think are really, you know, become they hit home really generational. So it's not even about how this is going to affect you and I. But when you start looking at the numbers and knowing that a child born today is going to be on the hook if we don't do anything and the, the debt continues to grow and, and the debt service continues to grow, child born today is going to be on the hook for over a million dollars. Uh, I mean, that that becomes hard for anybody on any side of the political aisle to really swallow. And so there's an acknowledgement that we're going to have to try to figure out how to do things differently. And, and really it's going to come down to just the will, the will to get beyond the politics and really just do the, do the work of the people make, you know, be the adults in the room that maybe have to make some tough decisions, maybe have to reimagine what, what government looks like and delivery of certain, you know, essential services look like. And, and being willing to do things differently, because clearly what we've done and and you talked about it, you know, this conversation for right or for wrong has been happening for 20, 30 years. We've had both Republicans and Democrats that have spent their way through, you know, through their majorities, whether it was through tax cuts or growth of government. And, and now there just needs to be, a, again, that adult conversation uh, on how we do things differently. One piece you brought up was 
you know, getting the labor force going here in Minnesota, we do have strong labor force participation, but I know, you know, labor is a challenge, not just in the Twin Cities, it's a challenge all over. What do you hear from employers and, and uh, how do you bring that message or how do you bring that labor kind of solution for the future going forward? Because part of this is demographics. Let's face it, you and I are in the, the, the sag of those demographic uh, bumps between baby boomers and uh, and Gen Zers or millennials, how do you kind of try to make sure that people in Washington understand that labor um, labor is an issue and it's not a not always a political one either? Yeah, you know, in Southern Minnesota, having the opportunity and the honor to serve so many great uh, manufacturers, businesses, small businesses, and 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 visiting with those folks over the last year and really my lifetime, I've really you know heard loud and clear that they're there is so many folks that are leaving so many business opportunities on the table because they just can't fulfill the need because of the lack of workforce, the lack of employees. And so, you know, there's a lot of different ways we can take a crack at that. But I mean, I think first and foremost, again, another issue that's been punted for 30 some years in this country, and that's the immigration conversation. How are we going to deal with the future needs, the future workforce? This country was built on immigration. Are we are we ready to have that conversation? And, and it's kind of coming to that, you know, that perfect storm or that perfect head because we've seen how vulnerable we become on the national stage when we've outsourced so many critical things uh, to, to other countries based on either economic, environmental, regulatory, or workforce uh, issues. And, you know, when, when, when we are pretty much put to a standstill when it comes to new vehicles or new tractors because of semiconductors or computer chips that were made in Taiwan. And we all of a sudden had a disruption in that supply chain. I mean, I think it opens up people's eyes to the fact that we need to start bringing back some of these critical jobs and critical uh, functions into our country. But in order to do that, we have to get this workforce conversation going in a very real way. My guest is Representative Brad Finstead. He represents the 1st Congressional District. He's in his first full term. I know, Ag, we've talked about it a little here, but uh, on the calendar for later this year is the Ag Bill, the reauthorization of it. Uh, you serve on the Agriculture Committee. How much work has been done um, already? I know there's been quite a bit of work, but just the idea of how an Ag Bill comes together is is always a little more art than it is science. Any thoughts on you know, early discussions on where the Ag Bill stands today? Well, we're, we're, we're definitely doing what, uh, <clears throat> what we've told the American public that we want to do, and that's making sure that this next farm bill is written by the farmers for the farmers and by rural America for rural America. And, and so we're doing everything we can to, <clears throat> excuse me, um, you know, taking testimony, listening, having committee hearings across the country, and really trying to gather input on and what we can do to make uh, a pretty good farm bill, the 2018 farm bill was a pretty good farm bill. What can we do to, you know, tweak the edges and make it even better yet? Um, the other piece is that, you know, really to anybody on the outside looking in, you would look at this and say, well, this is a nutrition bill. 84% of the farm bill is the nutrition title. So programs like SNAP and, and other food programs. So the, the other piece or, you know, the other area where we find ourselves in right now is really kind of that education uh, time frame where we're really trying to get other members of Congress that don't sit on the Ag Committee to really understand what, 
what is in the farm bill, how, how it's going to take folks from all walks of life, all districts, all regions of the country to come together to pass something that really is kind of that food to, uh, from that farm to table conversation. And, and really uh, in that overarching viewpoint of food security is national security. So we're, we're having those conversations. We're, we're very uh, fortunate to have a pretty good farm bill to uh, use as the base to rewrite this next one. But my, my hope is that we continue this progress of the listening and, and crafting uh, ideas. Uh, late August, early September, we'll start marking up a bill in committee and hopefully having that off, off the House uh, floor sometime in September and, and get to the point of negotiating with the Senate. Uh, and those conversations are already started with the Senate, but um, getting something done by the time uh, the farm bill expires at the end of September. Uh, you bring up a good point. And I think it's become more evident for multiple reasons. Is this link between farmers and agriculture and feeding people? And I think people are more rel- more, more cognizant of it right now um, when you talk about nutrition just give a l- listeners a little piece of how farmers take pride in feeding people. It's not just about growing stuff, but there's a, there's a purpose uh, that I hear from more and more from farmers, whether it's crops or livestock, that they take pride in feeding people. You know, it's just that very basic nurture nature that we have in us, right? Like we, you know, I like, like anybody in a family, you want to take care of your brothers. You want to take care of your sisters. You want to take care of your mom and dad. Um, and as farmers, we really see it as taking care of our community. And, you know, I, right now I'm staring at, uh, at one of my fields and, and I'm just looking at it and, and really kind of, I can go in my, through my memory bank and think about all the different things we've done in this field over the years and the good and the bad and, and what we're trying to do to improve it not just for this year, because if I farm just for this year, next year would be a losing proposition. So I'm always looking at that next 10, 15, 20, 30 years. What can I do in this field I'm looking at in front of me to make sure that my children and grandchildren have the opportunity to continue to to produce for for our neighbors? You know, on Friday, um, you put out a news release, a little transition here about a university internship program that you want you know, you want people to look into, you want an investigation, you, uh, Representative Emmer, uh, Congresswoman Fishbach, uh, Congressman Stauber, all kind of called out this University of Minnesota um, internship program. Say more about what your concerns are there. So, I mean, I'll, I'll just be very blunt. My politics are the politics of just plain old normal common sense. And this one just doesn't pass the plain old normal common sense test. Uh, so when I open up the news and I see that the University of Minnesota is an internship program and, you know, they're advertising for students to apply. And essentially they're saying, if you're white, do not apply. This is only for students of color or native uh, heritage. Uh, to me, like, it's just absurd. And uh, it, 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 it and it's quite frankly uh, defies multiple laws uh, that I understand to be true. So uh, it needs to be investigated. We need to make sure that we're holding our institutions to the highest of levels. And, and let's just be very honest and very blunt. If a, if a private sector company were to say, I have a job opening, the only way you can apply is if you're white. The absolute world would burn down around that company. And rightfully so. 
So we, we owe it to our state. We owe it to the taxpayers that fund the University of Minnesota, the students, the tuition payers, the parents. And as a proud alumni of the U of M, we, we have to do better. And this is a, it's a big mistake for them to go down this road. So again, I subscribe to the politics of common sense, and this does not pass the common sense test. So I'm calling them out on it. And I want to get to the bottom of it and make sure we correct it. Representative Finsett, I know you have planting to do. You have a graduation party this weekend. I know we'll catch up down the line. Thanks for joining me on Sunday Take. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. When we come back this week's Take, it's Memorial Day weekend with beautiful weather across the state, but we have to be mindful that it's not just about relaxing. I'm Blaise Olson. Sunday Take's Take is next. It's time for the Take this week, but first, a message from Minnesota Corn. Look, you heard Representative Finstad. He was planting seeds, planting beans, corns in. We're in the growing season, and we are all going to enjoy it. You know, that food and fuel that Minnesota corn growers build isn't just this year's crop. They think ahead to next year's crop and 10 years and 12 years down the line because if the land isn't working, they don't have crops and we don't have food and we don't have fuel. So when you think about Minnesota farmers this weekend, maybe you're even having some sweet corn. Maybe you planted your own garden. Maybe you're looking for fresh produce or those days ahead. Know that farmers take pride in feeding you. They also take pride in good soil, healthy soil and clean water. They live in these communities. They live off the land. If the land doesn't provide, they struggle. And so a sustainable model of agriculture is what farmers are practicing. It is what they are dedicated to. And it is the future of farming in Minnesota, led by Minnesota corn growers. I'm Blaise Olson. That's your Sustainability Minute from Minnesota Corn. Hey, look, (laughs) we've had a lot of issues to talk about, small, big, and whatever. But on this Memorial Day, let's be thankful for those who have sacrificed for our communities, for our country, for our city, for our state, including the public officials. We may not agree with them, and they may frustrate us, but they made sacrifices too. And this past session wasn't the greatest celebration of all time, and it wasn't maybe the worst worst session of all time either. Some of the ideas were good. Some of them were bad. Some of the laws are good. Some of the spending will be wasted. Just like life, government isn't perfect. Politicians aren't perfect. We know that legislators made a bet during this session. They made a bet on certain policy directions for the state of Minnesota. They made a bet on certain tax proposals for this session. They made a bet on certain education and health care changes. Education and health care are things that Minnesota have led on. Major disruption to stable industries is not good. And so we can be skeptical that these bets are bad, but some of them might be okay. 
But the real truth is we don't know. We don't know if these bets are good. We don't know if these bets will pay off and we don't know how bad they could be. And so everybody gets all worked up in an odd numbered year about the legislature. Well, see, that's the problem. Nobody really follows the legislature. And so they rely on other people to get worked up. The lobbyists, the staffers, the kind of activists on both the left and the right. And so if we're going to have people sacrifice their lives for our country, our city, our counties, whether it's sheriff's deputies, police officers, military members, firefighters, and others, let's, let's honor them by watching the process, following the issues, understanding the policy. And I say that because it just becomes more evident that election years get a lot of attention and legislative sessions don't always get a lot until there's some shiny object that gets us all fired up. So let the icon of shiny objects this weekend be with your family, with your community, So that we're not talking about politics, we're not debating politics, or we're resting. Because let's face it, we deserve this beautiful weather. We've had a tough few years. Let's soak it up. Enjoy it. And I hope you're outside or going to be outside after listening to Sunday Take this week. I'm Bloy Solson. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. Back clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. It's better over here. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. A left 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.